My favorite band, Cloud Cult is the name of it. I need to explain this a little bit. I first heard one of their songs very randomly at the dramatic end of a TV show. Uh, I googled the song that I'd just heard, and it turned out to be a band from Owatonna, Minnesota, which is always one of my favorite names to say, Owatonna. And then it got really weird as I started to learn more about them. As I kept reading about them, I saw they'd moved from Owatonna to the cities, and then finally they landed in, and are still in actually, Viroqua, of all places. So I looked up their concert dates. I'm like, do these people perform around us? And turns out they do often. And when I first uh, found them, I found that they had actually had a concert scheduled in La Crosse later that week. Uh, since I first heard their first song, I've seen them at Artspire a number of times downtown. Uh, great event if you've never been. That's in the summer. Nice time of year. Anyway, I love their music. I love their lyrics. And one of the songs... Uh, that they sing has this great line, it's easy to be thankful for the things you've got. It takes guts to give thanks for the things you've lost. And then he says, mm-hmm. What are you thankful for? This Jeremiah text provides a very interesting take on the kinds of things we can be thankful for. Maybe not only for what we consider good fortune, because sometimes good fortune is cloaked by scary circumstances, circumstances we would never choose for ourselves. Jeremiah would agree with Craig Manawa, Cloud Cult songwriter, when he says, it's easy to be thankful for the things you've got. It takes guts to give thanks for the things you've lost. Mm -hmm. If I went around the room like some of us did at Thanksgiving last week and had each of us say what we're thankful for, we'd hear my relationships, maybe my job, my house, maybe it's your health. We're typically thankful for things that make our life feel comfortable or safe or valued or fun. I mean, that's typically the things at the top of the list. Like, I have never been at a family Thanksgiving where somebody says, well, I'm, I'm thankful for uh, my broken arm last week. Boy, that was great. Or, I'm thankful I failed that test last week. Phew! Or, that I got dumped my, by my girlfriend. I never said that in high school. Or, that I can't stay as busy as I used to be. Or, that I have pain. Or, whatever it is. Nobody says that kind of stuff. And yet, people like Michael J. Fox, you may know him as an actor from Back to the Future, Family Ties. For my generation, this was like one of the, one of the stars, right? He's been in lots of stuff. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease when he was just 29 years old, back in 1991, which, if you want to do the math, that makes him 59. Um, in 2002, he wrote a memoir, and he called it Lucky Man. Lucky. Truly, he and Jeremiah could have been friends because they both get the message that is good news today. By 1991, Michael J. Fox was as big as it got. TV, movies, he had everything a, a human could dream of. At Thanksgiving 1990, he could have given thanks. Like if they'd have gone around the room, he could have said, well, I'm thankful for my Ferrari my Range Rover, my Mercedes convertible, my Jeep Cherokee, and my Nissan 300ZX. They were all literally those five vehicles in one garage. 
As he says in his memoir, he says, I can't remember the intricate decision tree I had to climb in order to determine which one to drive to work on any given day. I mean, can you imagine how, you, how would you make that decision? You know, what keys should I take off the wall today? <laughs> anyway, he said, it probably had to do with the weather or maybe which car had more gas in the tank or which car, the, the upholstery that best matched whatever shirt I happened to throw on that morning? Can you imagine matching your vehicle with your shirt? Anyway, by 2002, 11 years after his diagnosis, he called Parkinson's disease a gift. He said, I've referred to it as a gift, something for which others with this affliction have taken me to task. I was only speaking from my own experience, of course, but I stand only partially corrected. If it is a gift, it's a gift that just keeps on taking. Coping with relentless assault and the accumulating damage is not easy. Nobody would ever choose to have this visited upon them. Still, this unexpected crisis forced a fundamental life decision. Adopt a siege mentality or embark upon a journey. Whatever it was, courage, acceptance, wisdom that finally allowed me to go down the second road, that is the embarking on a journey road, after spending a few disastrous years on the first road, that was the siege mentality road, whatever it was that had me move in that, toward that second road was unquestionably a gift. Presented with this catastrophe, I never would have opened it or been so profoundly enriched. That's why I consider myself a lucky man. Fox names a gift that just keeps on taking, and that's Jeremiah's message too. It's like the same message. The prophet Jeremiah is living in interesting times when the people of Israel are experiencing loss all together. It's not just one person's diagnosis. It's everybody's loss together. They would not have wanted to call the Babylonians or their exile to Babylon a gift. I'm going to give you a little background in case you forget how this all goes, but the Bible, of course, follows the Hebrew people, which means readers of the Old Testament. By following the ups and downs of the Hebrew people, learn a little about the uh, ancient empires that rise and fall around Israel. That's what we learn uh, from reading these parts of Scripture. And first there was the Egyptian empire. That was led by the Pharaoh. Moses freed the Hebrew slaves from Egypt. Once the 12 tribes of Israel leave Egypt, they settle in what would be the Holy Land. Eventually, David makes Jerusalem his capital in about 1000 BC. That's an easy date to remember, not that I'm going to test you on dates. But for the next 400 years, there's lots of drama as David's kingdom splits into Israel in the north, Judah in the south. There's lots of bad kings. Prophets speak on God's behalf, saying some uncomfortable truths. And this is when the Assyrian Empire becomes much stronger than the Egyptian Empire, and then it's the Babylonian Empire that becomes stronger than either. And by the time we come to this reading that I read from Jeremiah, the Babylonians have invaded Judah, that is the southern kingdom, they've taken the king, they've removed a good portion of the people of Jerusalem and taken them to Babylon. And when I say a good portion of the people, I mean like if we went around to the best and brightest in Onalaska, Holman, La Crosse, all our areas, if we took the best and brightest, the most important, the leaders, and just put them in, I don't know, Canada, that's what's happened 
to the best and brightest in Jerusalem. They've been taken to Babylon, and that makes it a very scary time. Scholars call this the Babylonian exile. Exile is not usually thought of as a gift, limiting where you can be, much less not being allowed to be where you're from, where your family and friends are. That's what exile is. It sounds bad. You don't give thanks for exile at the Thanksgiving table. I mean, just imagine. Some foreign power comes in and destroys your capital, takes your leaders, the smartest people in your culture, and then deposits them in their capital to go work for them. In this foreign land, in exile, the Hebrews look different. They speak a different language. They have a different religion. And then there's the question of a cultural future. Most people at the, in this era, this was a way of basically breeding out your enemies. Make it so that they become your slaves, exile them from home, make them your slaves, and then they get snuffed out. So what will happen to the Hebrew people now? That was the question. Will they be wiped off the map? Is this it for them? What will happen to their stories, their culture, their religion? This is the context for Jeremiah's letter. So what will a prophet say? in the midst of those feelings, those questions. Maybe the prophet's going to say something like, so stay faithful to your God and fight. You know, you who are exiled, stay strong, be you. Maybe he's going to say something like, God's going to help you destroy your enemies or something like that. That might be what would be expected. You know, stick with God, he'll stick with you. So hang on to what's yours. But into all the fear and worry and anxiety, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. Here it comes. Build houses there. Live in them there. Plant gardens there and eat what they produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters there. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage there, that they may bear sons and daughters there, multiply there, and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of that city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its wel welfare you'll find your welfare. There. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I'll let you find me, says the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to that place from which I sent you into exile. Not what the people were expecting to hear. Jeremiah does not do the expected thing and say, rise up, you exiles, be faithful to the Lord, and resist. Instead, he says, be good citizens there. Seek the welfare of the city where you are. Adapt. Make lives there. And while you do, know that I have plans for you, that it's okay. I give you a future with hope even now, even amidst exile, even amidst all your valid feelings. I give you a future with hope. I'll hear you when you pray. When you seek me, you'll find me. I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you. The key line here is, for surely I know 
the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare, not for your harm, to give you a future with hope. Sometimes we question if God's planned future for us includes harm, because it seems like it does. And God's making it very clear to those in exile, no, 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 that's not what I'm in the business of. I'm in the business of giving future with hope. Could exile be a gift that just keeps on taking, like Parkinson's was for Michael J. Fox? Because as scary as I'm sure exile was, it took away Israel's pride. It took away their arrogance. It took away their worship of themselves. Their worship of the one true Lord instead of themselves becomes so much more focused in exile. Exile made them remember who they are. It helped them remember what they know. In exile, they started to taste the gifts of the Spirit rather than pat themselves on the back for knowing so much more than they really did. It's easy to give thanks for the things you've got. It takes guts to give thanks for the things you've lost. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying God brings bad things upon, upon God's people so that we learn lessons. That's not how God works. But I am saying that when we find ourselves in circumstances that scare us, that worry us, or at times we truly don't know what to think of, whether it's the church not knowing how to be the church in the 21st century or a family not knowing how to move forward after a difficult moment, whatever that moment might be, or if it's a culture that's just paralyzed by whatever paralyzes a culture. I'm not saying God brings those things on us. I'm saying that when those things do happen, because they do, Jeremiah reminds us that the Lord has plans for us and that they aren't plans filled with our harm that we should then just be in despair about. They're plans, God's plans, meant to give a future with hope all the way to resurrection. Thanks be to God. Amen.